Howdy, welcome back to another episode of our weekly podcast. We know you've got a buffet of media to choose from each week. That's why we put a lot of effort into finding stories from the Bible that have relevant lessons for us today. I hope you enjoy. One more thing about the love and war. I still get those testimonies coming in each week and I have failed to be sharing those. So I can do better. Thank you for your understanding in that. All right, so I want to start off this morning by making something very clear, and that is that I detest winter. Thank you. Hallelujah. The saints have spoken. And uh, Annette laughed at me this week as I was praying, and, and uh, I thanked the Lord for the curse of winter, because the curse of winter just helps me remember I was not created for this. Humanity never should have seen a winter, and that the future is bright with summer. And I heard some amen, so that's just great. But you know, winter, the birds and their songs are missing. The sounds of the frogs at night are missing. Where are the flowers? So many of those rainy days that are cold, where are the sunsets? Where are the fresh tomatoes from the garden? Amen. See, this is it. I love it. Where are my blueberries? Where are my peaches? Where is my warm sunshine? Winter, I just am convinced it was never meant to be. Though some of us, we talk about the joys of snow, and, and I'll give you the snow is fun. It's fun. So I'm, I'm just hoping the Lord has a planet that in the uh, land beyond the blue, uh, we can go to that planet and snowboard and ski and throw snowballs and build snowmen and whatever we want to do and then get out of there <laughs> and come back for vacations only. But winter, winter can be just grueling. And, and there's something in it. I, I remember reading an idea that when Adam began to see the first leaves fall off trees, this was a problem. This should not be happening. And I think the seasons kind of show us this cycle of life. And though I exaggerated my hatred for winter, it does remind us like this, this wasn't meant to be. This idea of death and rebirth and this thing, like what is this about? And yet sometimes we go through seasons of winter in life. And I want to talk to you about that a little bit this morning. I want to share a little of my testimony. Um, I've shared some of this before, but a winter in my life started when I was in India. And I was there doing the Lord's work, uh, doing health clinics and teaching people about a better way to live and values from Scripture that can be just revolutionary. And... In, a, in the midst of all that, I got very sick. And if you've ever been to the, the uh, mission field, if you will, or, or the developing world, and you get sick, I think in Mexico we call it Montezuma's revenge, right? And you just feel like all the revenge of the ages is inflicted on you in that moment. And you feel hated and, well, am I gonna die? Well, I had this in India. And... Boy, if you've ever been that sick, you just start to question, like, am I going to make it? So I was really sick, and somehow I made it home. But something wasn't right, and so I went to a physician, and 
And I, uh, <clears throat> I started to just explain, look, these are my symptoms. And began to explain all these, and he tells me with a straight face, I believe that you have leprosy. And I remember thinking how crazy that sounded, yet how terrified I was because five days earlier and for three weeks in a row, I was in a village with lepers. And I touched them and I was around them. And in this moment, I just thought my whole world is crashing in. I have the biblical plague of leprosy. And I, was, I had just gotten married, and I thought, this is terrible. And he says, well, we're going to test you for it. The good news is, it's not like in the Bible, you're not going to be shunned or die. We actually have medications for this now, and okay, that was a relief. But it didn't make me feel in that moment any better. So they began running me through tests. And, and the reason I wanted to share this morning is, some of us go through trials, and we just don't have a clue of what's going on or why. And I began to do the tests. And, oh, it's not leprosy. You've ever been through a health crisis or trial and you get, you're given news that it's not this. Oh, great. What is it? Well, it wasn't leprosy. And he said, well, maybe it's AIDS. I don't think it's AIDS, but test me for AIDS. No, it's not AIDS. Well, then it could be autoimmune. Okay, well, why? How? Where did this come from? Well, you know, it could be cancer. Well, that's always alarming. And then, no, it's not cancer. So you go through all the options, and then you're, then you're getting a little frustrated. What is it? Well, it's probably in your mind. And I've had other friends who've gone through some serious things, and when it gets to that point, you nearly give up. Because it's like people are telling you, you're crazy, this isn't really real. And I'm thinking, this is real. This is real. For multiple years, I could barely swallow. If you ever had your tonsils inflamed, I could barely swallow. And through this time, I began to read the writings of Ellen White for the first time really in depth for myself. And I think it was one of those journeys where sometimes, maybe a lot of times, in a trial, God begins to use some of your time differently than you would use it. And for me, it was, I was looking for answers. I was trying to make sense. You know, Lord, I'm praying that you're not answering what is going on. And just, you know, when you eat and you, if you've ever had just a sore throat and it's just persistent and it hurts and you just feel miserable, then it began to compound with everything I ate made me feel like my stomach was going to just explode and I just would lay on the floor and just in pain. And, and I, I began to read things and I began to think, well, there must be a reason for this. Maybe I did this to myself. And I'll tell you why I started to believe things like that. I would read some statements like this. The only hope of better things is in the education of the people in right principles. This is from a book called Councils on Health. One of the reasons I, I found it interesting to get into these writings of Ellen White, though I'd grown up as a Seventh-day Adventist and heard about her influence and the movement and all these things, 
what got my attention was when I saw some writings from John Harvey Kellogg, who's influenced medicine and health in so many different ways, and they would ask him, how have you always been ahead of your scientific peers and the medical community? And he would say, I read the writings of my friend Ellen White. And by doing so and applying it, I am five years ahead of everyone else. And he proved that and, and all these things. And I thought, yeah, there's something to it. So I began to read these things and think, there's something here. How is it that one woman's writings seem to have influenced so many different areas of the world? Just last night, I was reading a long article about alternative meats today find their origin from John Harvey Kellogg and some, this is how the article wrote it, and some friend that was influencing him. And today, I think the market capitalization of fake meats is like, I don't know, billions and billions of dollars. So I started to get into this and I thought, there's something, if the medical establishment can't help me, then I've got to find another way. And if you, if you want to turn with me right quick to John chapter 9, there's a few things you should start to ask, at least from my opinion, when you get into a trial in life, health trials especially. In John chapter nine, in verse one, it says this. As Jesus passed by, he saw a man who was blind from birth. His disciples asked him, saying, and by the way, we have the same mentality today, and I'm gonna describe, I think sometimes it's good, sometimes it's bad, but they had it, and it was this, Rabbi, who sinned? That man is blind. Who did something contrary to the laws of heaven so that this man is blind? A law was broken, and this man is blind. So they ask him, Rabbi, who sinned? This man or his parents that he was born blind? Now, if he was born blind, they probably knew their logical answer was, well, he couldn't have been the cause agent of becoming blind. He was born blind. And Jesus answered, neither this man nor his parents sinned, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. We'll pause there. So I began to think, like some in the world think, if your hand is bleeding, you probably cut it. If you're throwing up, you have a bug or a virus or something. If you're having some experiencing something going on, something caused it. There's cause and effect in the world. So I thought, then there's something I've done. Because if everybody can't help me now, somebody's got to help me and I got to figure out why. So I began to dig, dig in. Let physicians teach the people. And I'm so grateful we have physicians here that believe these words. Let the physicians teach the people that restorative power is not in drugs, but in nature. Well, after you're trying lots of things, I don't know if anybody else here, but if you might have tried a lot of drugs, just like that woman with the issue of blood after I think it's 12 years, she had no more money because she had invested it all into the healthcare of the day and it says in physicians, she's given up. So I began to say, all right, if the drugs aren't the ticket in nature, what, what does this mean? And then these next words, I would tell you, have guided the course of my life. Disease 
And if I could encourage you to dig into this, I think it's fascinating. Ellen White paints a picture of disease not as a bad thing, but as something that nature is doing to recover. Disease is an effort of nature. So I'm sick, I'm reading these words. Sickness, disease is an effort of nature to free the system, the body system, from conditions that result from a violation of the laws of health. So I'll tell you how I read that. If you break the laws of health, I've got to figure out what those are. Disease is the result. So if you figure out what the laws of health are, I thought to myself, you will find the cure to disease. In case of sickness, it goes on, the cause should be ascertained. And I just want to affirm, I believe these words more than ever today. I'm just going to share with you some of the nuances as I got into my story. If you are sick, your number one duty is to ask, how did I get sick? Unhealthful conditions should be changed. I'm going to use some examples. They're surely going to get refuted and everything in the world can be refuted. But it would go like this. If you have an issue in your lungs, maybe to the extent of cancer, you should ask, why did I get cancer in my lungs? Unhealthful conditions should be changed. If you're still smoking, and there's evidence that smoking damages lungs, you should stop smoking. But that's what it's talking about. Stop doing the thing that you now are clear, this may be or is contributing to my sickness. Then the next step, wrong habits corrected. And sometimes, sometimes I'll admit, I think I get those, those uh, confused. There's things you're doing and there's places you are in. So when I was a kid, I remember, mom, you're here. I had this immune system. It was just so bad. And finally found a physician that wasn't all about just drugs, drugs, drugs. He's like, you know, I got to understand the condition. This kid may have an allergy. Do you have a lot of leaves around your house? Yes, we do. We live in, kind of in the woods. Get all the leaves away from your house. They're rotting. And Jared has issues because of that. Well, my dad gets the blower or the rake, maybe in that time. Maybe we have blowers, I don't know. Get the rake all the way out, the leaves are out, and I begin to feel better. So there is wrongful conditions, and then there's wrong habits. There's something you're doing that's contributing. And then it says, then nature is to be assisted in her effort to expel impurities, detoxification, and to reestablish right conditions in the system. All right, so I've been to all the doctors there's something wrong with you. We don't know what's wrong with you. Maybe it's in your head. Well, something's wrong with me. I've got to figure it out. And I read this and I thought, then something I've done. Just like when Jesus' disciples said, who sinned? I thought, there's something I've done. If sickness and disease come about, not just random, which I would tell you, this is why there is a war in our world with this idea of sickness. I've told you a joke before. I hope I don't offend anyone. It's very funny to me. Uh, a gentleman said, diabetes runs in my family and it's because my family don't run. <laughs> and so we have these two competing ideas in the world. One is people believe there's things you're probably doing, lifestyle related, et cetera, that lead to disease. That's a school of thought. It's probably a smaller school of thought, but it's a school of thought. The other is it's in my genes or I just got sick. Ah, as if cancer is like the tooth fairy, just comes around and it gets surprises on us. 
Now, there is a sinful world we live in and things happen. And that's where we're going to get into this because sometimes it is because of a cause. Other times it's an entirely different reason. Sometimes it's because of something you've done. Other times it's because of something your parents did. It's because of where you're living. It's because of things you may not actively be doing. Then I began to get in deeper. Pure air, sunlight, temperance in all things, rest, exercise, proper diet, the use of water, trust in divine power. These are the true remedies. Fascinatingly, none of these can be monopolized. These are free for the most part. And God gives them to everyone and says, these are true remedies. Every person should have a knowledge of nature's remedial agencies and how to apply them. Told you I've been doing this crazy thing in the last two years with ice baths. Told somebody yesterday, they just laughed at me. You are insane. And I said, first off, I know there's all the health benefits of it, but I've never found something in my life that can quicker get rid of stress. And the science describes it as cortisol is destroyed when you get in a bath that's near freezing temperatures. So anybody with stress conditions, I would strongly encourage you to try it. Come on over to my house and I'll record you screaming. (laughs) It goes on to say, it is essential both to understand the principles involved in the treatment of the sick and to have a practical training that will enable one rightly to use this knowledge. So I'm reading this. The use of natural remedies requires an amount of care and effort that many are not willing to give. And I began to experience that. I got to do what? For how long? Can't drugs help me overnight? Nature's process of healing and upbuilding is gradual. And to the impatient, it seems slow. And I would attest to that. The surrender of hurtful indulgences, there's things we all love. And yet deep down we may know this is not a good habit, not a good practice. And it says the surrender of hurtful indulgences requires sacrifice. But in the end, it will be found that nature, untrammeled, does her work wisely and well. Those who persevere in obedience to her laws will reap the reward in health of body and health of mind. Now, I began to get real deep in the weeds, and I would tell you that's when I probably got a little more extreme, but I began to believe a principle. I'm not saying this is right, but this is what I began to believe. Drugs are the modern indulgence. This is my own belief at the time. Just want to explain. I can continue to do whatever I want to do. Smoke what I want to smoke, drink what I want to drink, eat what I want to eat. And on TV last night, they said there's a new drug I can take. I do not have to change my behavior and it'll help me feel better. So I began to believe this idea of drugs are like the modern indulgence. Now, I would tell you now, I think that was an extreme view. It's extreme if we're never taught these principles. And it's extreme because people eventually suffer. And they don't really feel better. They just maintain this new normalcy of, I guess this is the best life can have. And and to read the words of Jesus, I want you to be just as abundantly healthy physically as you are spiritually, is a beautiful concept. And so I was in the midst of this trial. And I began to learn things that, that in a moment, I thought, 
I can find healing through doing these remedies. These are the answer. And then I began to treat remedies as indulgences. If I will just drink this tea, not eat this thing, do this thing, I will be healed. And I think it's very important if you're stuck in that trap, don't think that you can't treat your remedies just like some people treat their drugs. As long as I do this, I'm all good. Then I read Exodus 15, 26. If you listen carefully to the Lord your God and do what is right in his eyes, if you pay attention to his commands and keep all his decrees, it says, I will not bring on you any of the diseases I brought on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. And that's when you have to know healing comes from heaven. It's a radical concept in our day and age, but I believe it with all my heart. And I've, I've learned over this time and through this trial that most of our, Ellen White says this, so I'm stealing from her, most of our issues are mentally related. There's someone we hate. And we're 50 pounds overweight because of that hate. There's someone we will not forgive and cancer has manifested itself because we're not gonna forgive that person. There are physical maladies we are suffering from ourselves because there is some emotional issue we will not confront and deal with. I believe that. Okay, so then I found, okay, God is the source of healing. Then why on earth is this happening to me? For seven years, I get into this trial, this winter of my life. And, you know, people start to share nice verses, which are good, that begin to encourage you in somehow, some ways, but in other ways you think, oh, like James. James chapter one and verse two, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. What? Knowing that the testing of your faith, because that's what it does, is God real? Is he there? Does he hear me? Does he care? You begin to contradict all the things scripture teaches and it is a war on your faith. We're gonna lose our house. Let's go outside of health for a second. We're gonna lose our house. We're gonna face bankruptcy. I'm gonna lose my job. Is God real? Does he care? Why doesn't he care about me? Why does he bless them and not me? Then it says this, knowing the testing of your faith does something. All of this does something. It produces patience. But patience is not the end goal of Scripture because it goes on. Let patience have its perfect work that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. As if God is to say, you're still a little broken. You're not fully polished like I've told everyone I'm gonna polish everyone and they're gonna have a perfect spot in my kingdom. You've got something in your life that you don't see, that I see, that heaven sees, that needs working out. And so God lets these trials come into our life. Somebody rams into our car. Something is broken in our house. We break a bone. We lose a child. We lose a relationship. Something absolutely catastrophic happens in our life. We get sick. And the Bible has a formula that is so contrary to logic that it only could be from Scripture. Sing praises, 
Count it as a good thing when terrible things happen in your life. Because when terrible things happen in your life, God is wanting to give you more patience and more patience and more patience until he can say, I'm done. You trust me completely. And so I'm in the midst of this trial for seven years. And I don't know if it's my fault. I don't know if God's trying to prove something in my life. I don't know if it's for somebody else. I mean, you began to go through every scenario when you can't figure out what's wrong with you. I began to do every remedy under the sun. Uh, If you've ever done fever baths, intentionally raising your body temperature to the 103, 104 zone for 10, 12 minutes where you feel like your brain is melting, this cannot be good, and you you need somebody nearby to help you. And doing that, well, I'm trying to help my immune system. And I, <clears throat> by the way, I believe in that. Very dangerous. Make sure you have some good people around you to help. But that didn't work. All right, well, maybe if I go and juice only for 21 days straight, maybe that will help. And I will tell you, that's one of the most clear thinking moments of my life. Uh, hunger disappears after day three. That didn't do it. Well, what if I fast every day on this day, every week on this day of the week? What if I don't eat that thing anymore? What if, then then I had a a bout where I was so sick, I'm like, I just don't want to eat anything. I was 40 pounds lighter than I am now. Mm -hmm. You lose much hope of anything. You're depressed. Many nights I would tell Annette, and so it got discouraging to her. I'm not sure I'm going to wake up in the morning. I feel terrible. Something's wrong, and And then to have doctors just say, it's probably in your head. What do you do in those moments? Did I do this? Is God trying to show off? I mean, what what really is going on? You You just go through scenarios where it's so tempting to lose your faith, to just say, you know what? Not that losing your faith would help you. It's not like somebody's waiting out there to say, okay, good, you've lost your faith. Here's your cure. Losing your faith just destroys all your hope. There's a Bible story about this, very different than me, of a righteous man. I was not a righteous man. And that Bible story is the book of Job. And Job begins to give us a physical story of what Jesus is describing in John chapter 9. Who sinned? And Jesus' answer was, neither this man nor his parents, but there's something bigger, guys, going on. We're in a war, and God needs to be made to look good in this war. And this man was born blind, which takes you into a whole different realm of religion that in somehow God's providence, he does some terrible things to some of us to help people understand him better. Because if we're very clear, at least the way I'm understanding this story God made this boy to be born blind. The same Jesus that would give him sight said, he needs to be born blind. He needs to be a heartache to his mother and father. He needs to be a very difficult child to raise because he'll be born blind. And his whole life is gonna be very difficult and he will be born blind But this is going to make all people understand there's something bigger going on. And in the story of Job, we learn about this man blameless and upright 
fears God, shuns evil. We understand he helps widows with his money. He's very wealthy. He helps children. He's not selfish. Uh, he does sacrifices for his, his kids when perhaps they sinned. I don't know, but I want to I pray for them. And, and it shows you the, the importance of interceding for other people. And you get down into it, and there's this day, and we learn in the cosmic war that there are these regular councils of all the beings, the leaders from all the worlds, and Satan shows up because he has taken the crown from Adam, and he now has it, and he's there as a representative of earth. And the Lord, just like that blind boy in John chapter 9, does something absolutely wild in Job chapter 1. He starts the conversation with the ambassador of earth. Hey, Satan, where'd you come from? And so Satan begins the dialogue. Well, going back and forth on the earth. Then the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? You seen my man Job on earth? Once you know the end of the story, you think, really, Lord, did you need to speak up in that moment? You could have just been proud of Job. But there's something we don't understand. That This is one of those things you have to just say, God is God and I am not. Why did this happen? Maybe it's for us to understand there is a dynamic in the war of good and evil that we can't quite grasp. And that when these bitter trials in life come, our solace is God loves me. He wants something good for me. I don't understand why this is happening, but it is. And the book of Job is that. Have you considered my servant Job? There's none like him on the earth, as if to put a mark on Job's back. He's blameless, he's upright, he fears God, and he shuns evil. And Satan says, does he fear you for nothing? And I'm gonna paraphrase just to not go too deep into this, but you've given him a lot of stuff. He's rich, of course he loves God. It's easy to love God when you're rich. And God says, okay. You can take his stuff and things and other details, but don't touch him. Okay. And so Satan goes out and we begin to read here in Job, well, the Sabians, this warring tribe, they raided and, and they took away some of the messengers, the workers uh, that says the oxen were plowing, the donkeys feeding beside them when the Sabians raided them, took them away. Indeed, they have killed the servants. Kills the employees of Job. One has escaped to tell Job this because we're back on earth. While he's still speaking, another came. The fire of God fell from heaven. This is where you start to learn some fascinating details. God did not send fire in this portion of the story which means God in times gives Satan the ability to play with the weather. As wild and conspiratorial as that sounds, we have biblical evidence. If you believe this wild literal book, there is evidence here, and I guess it's lightning for all I know. Lightning came down and burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them. And Job, I alone have escaped to tell you. Can you imagine Job, crisis, now another crisis, Oh, and then the Chaldeans formed some bands, raided the camels took, camels, took them away, killed the servants with the edge of the sword, and I have alone have escaped to tell you. Oh, 
And while he was still speaking, another also came. You ever had a trial that compounds on a trial? Job is in the midst of that. Your sons and your daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. And suddenly a great wind came. So you have a storm here. Across the wilderness, it struck the four corners of the house. It fell on a young people. Your children, Job, all of them are dead. And I alone have escaped to tell you. Then Job arose, tore his robe, shaved his head, fell to the ground and cursed God. It does not say he cursed God. It actually says he fell to the ground and worshiped. And he said, naked I came from my mother's womb. Naked shall I return there. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Did the Lord take away? No. But he just says, you know what? God is so powerful that he's allowed this. So I'm gonna give him the credit. You could have stopped this and you didn't. You gave me these things you took them away. That's an interesting dynamic. We just have the blessing of the full story to know that's not what was happening. But I'm not really sure how much that matters. Because he just trusted. Anything that comes into my life, God has to approve or not. And he approved this, Satan doing this to all of those around me. The Lord gave and the Lord take away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Wow, What? In all this, Job did not sin or charge God with the wrong. Satan comes back to him, back, excuse me. Satan comes back to God in the next council. I don't know if these are monthly or yearly or what, but I think it's more often than we may realize. And again, the Lord says to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? None like him in the earth. I mean, he uses the same language. He's upright, he's blameless shuns evil, and still he holds fast to his integrity, although you incited me against him to destroy him without cause. And Satan, the ultimate excuse maker, says, yeah, skin for skin. All that a man has, he will give for his life. Yeah, so what, I took his stuff. I thought that would work, it didn't. Let me go after him. Let me make him sick. And the Lord basically says, you can do anything you want, you just can't kill him. And he goes after him. And this story is a fascinating one to read. In the next uh, 42 chapters, it's only 20 pages. And it is a story about Job thinking, did I do this? Did I bring this on myself? And his friends saying, yes, you did. You have cancer because there's something you did. You have heart disease because there's something you did. She left you because of something you did. He left you because of something you did. This happened because of something you did. And Job begins to just rack his mind and he does something a little crazy. I didn't do anything. I don't deserve this. And his friends, as you may have some of these friends, I've been one of these friends. There's something you've done. I know you don't think so, but there's something you've done and that's why this is happening in your life. And he just does not believe it. I didn't do anything. God, why are you doing this to me? And he kind of goes after God. Why are you doing this? Why? I'm not gonna curse you. I love you. I respect you. And I'm okay. I'm gonna die and 
I got, I got hope in the promises that on that day, I'm gonna stand up, I'm gonna be counted righteous, I'm gonna be with you. And they say, whoa, you need to be careful with all this confidence and your assurance of salvation, buddy. And we begin to go through the story of Job. And all along, I believed in this story of Job. This is God showing off to some planet. He can do that. He's good. If there's ever any question of his goodness, he lays down his life at the expense of eternal loss for me and for you. No question. He's not sadistic. He's not a schizophrenic. He loves us to the point of losing his own life. Well, then why is he doing this? To, to show off to Satan? He doesn't care about Satan. You get down to chapter 42. And Job begins to answer the Lord after the Lord has said, where were you when I formed the foundations of the world? Where were you when I did this? Where were you when I did this? You act like you know everything, Job. And I just love that. When you have a true friend in life, things can get very candid. A lot of us don't have that. And boy, it is nice to know, Frank, that is not the right shirt color. I like your shirt, by the way. But it is nice when a friend says, hey, that's, that's not your best. Or it's nice when some of you say, hey, that wasn't your best sermon. I actually appreciate it. There's nothing like a candid friend that you know loves you. And in this moment, we realize Job and Jesus are friends. Because Job is going after him. Why'd you do this? Why'd you do this? Where were you in this? da 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 and, and boy, the response is, let me ask you some questions, friend. Where were you when I did this? Where were you when I did this? And boy, you go all through these different things and Job somehow gets some of the last words. I know that you can do everything. <laughs> that no purpose of yours can be withheld from you. You asked, who is this who hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore, Job says, I have uttered what I did not understand. Things too wonderful me, which I did not know. Listen, please, and let me speak. You said, I will question you and you shall answer me. And then Job says these words in verse five of chapter 42 of Job. I have heard of you by the hearing of the ear. So many of us. We are here today. We profess this belief system in one way, shape, or another. Maybe it's Christianity. Maybe it's Adventism. And it's just a theoretical religion. It just logically makes sense. And though Job's whole life is something that later in Scripture, there are statements, though Job and Daniel were in the land, as if to say, though the most righteous people ever to walk the earth were in the room, it couldn't stop whatever the thing it was, was going to come. So we know this guy was deemed righteous. He did the right things. He cared for the poor. He defended those who couldn't defend themselves. He did what was right, and he looked out. We're told he sought out to find, what's the cause of this issue? I want to help. And he says these powerful words in verse 5. I've heard of you, talking about his friend to the Lord. I've heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. Now it's become personal. And therefore, I abhor myself. I hate what I've done. Maybe who I've become. 
and I repent in dust and ashes. Which makes you question, at least it made me question, did God do this for Job? As he's bragging to Satan, have you considered Job? We think, well, is this for Satan? Is this for, is this for the angels? Is this for the other leaders of the world? Is this for other worlds? Is this for us today? But I'm suspicious that God knew Job so closely that he said, I have to help Job. There's some things that on all outward appearances, this guy has arrived. But there's something that I have to take him through to help him see some things he couldn't understand before. And Job's own mouth says, I'm paraphrasing, but I needed this. And I want to be different than the way I was and I want a new experience. And then the rest of the story, God blesses him and rebukes his friends that didn't encourage him. And this winter season of Job's life that you know had to be hard, somehow it, it was good for him. It helped him count the blessings of summer. And I can tell you in my own experience, I did all those tests. I chased all those rabbit holes. Maybe it's this, maybe it's that. And somehow, after seven years, someone said, as some people had done along the way, well, maybe you should get tested for this. I've tested for that. No, you should get tested for this. At this lab, in this city, and this is how, and this is the test to do. All right, I'll do that. And in that moment, they say, you have a parasite from Southeast Asia. And not until last year, which would have been, I don't know, like 10 or 12 years later, did I finally find the little daily journal I took in India. And I opened it up and I saw this page. Tonight, I ate at a campfire with a widowed woman and her son. And the food was delicious. But tonight, as I go to sleep, I feel very sick. And after that, I was sick. And I thought to myself, was this for me? Because before this started, and as I was getting into this, I should probably say I'd started to read some of these things lightly before I got sick. And I believe that idea, sickness is because of your sin. And I probably wasn't shy to share that. So when I would hear people say things like, I'm allergic to gluten, I'd be like, oh yeah, you're allergic to bread? Really? You're not allergic to bread. It's in your head, or something you're doing, or didn't I see you eating potato chips, and you're allergic to bread? Get serious. And I was that jerk. And it's like the Lord said, I need to show Jared some lessons. I have to break that spirit where he thinks he knows everything. And along the way, the little joke on me was, I became allergic to gluten. <laughs> and a few other things. And in my healing, by the way, that idea of helping nature, one of my parts for helping nature was one of the most wild things. I had to take 30 hydrochloric acid pills every time I ate food. Because I had so destroyed my stomach 
that I couldn't digest anything. They gave me a sheet in the time of this. They said, hey, by the way, now that you've gotten rid of this parasite, you have 96 allergies. And as they listed everything, I said, that's everything I eat. They said, that's because your gut wall has been destroyed and it's gotten into your bloodstream and you're allergic to everything you eat. And then it's like, well, what do I do? Eat different things? Ugh, yeah, and you gotta break it down and you gotta, and it took me probably, I don't know, five, six years to get through that of not having to take all these pills every time to where I could enjoy a meal and not look like a medicine cabinet. And I, I'm convinced uh, this happened to me. I don't know how it, why it happened, but it happened. And it helped me on my journey to understand that God is good. And that today I hate winter still. <laughs> and yet during the summer, it makes summer all the more sweet because I'm like, it ain't winter. <laughs> and I probably am a little extreme. If it's 110 degrees outside, I am the happiest guy you will find around. And yet it's in those moments in life when you are just in the depths of winter that I just want to encourage you to take hope. Summer is coming. And sometimes that's not a sickness. Sometimes it's the loss of someone you've loved. And again, I want to encourage you, summer is coming. There's a statement that says something like this. Ellen White would write this. She'd lost a child. She'd lost a husband. And she says, this life at best is but the Christian's winter. Got my attention, right? The bleak winds of winter, disappointments, losses, pain, and anguish are our lot here. But our hopes are reaching forward to the Christian summer when we shall change climate, leave all the wintry blasts and fierce tempests behind and be taken to those mansions Jesus has gone to prepare for those that love him. I hope you can take encouragement from those words. You may be in the midst of your winter. You may be about to enter your winter. You may have loved ones or friends that are in a winter. Encourage them that summer is coming. Don't give up, that there is hope and that tomorrow will be better than today. And sometimes we need the faith of other people to just survive. Maybe the doctors have told me this isn't good. I don't think it's good. I don't feel good. All of my faith may have nearly run out. I need you as a friend to tell me it's going to be okay. Summer is coming. Don't rebuke me if my faith is almost hitting your rock bottom. And why aren't you studying your Bible like you should? Why aren't you? Help me with, in those moments, you be the faith I need. You encourage me because I may be on life support with my faith. And that's where we can be there for one another. That's where I think the community we're building here and the community that your family has as a, as a community of influence. Be the faith for people that may not have it right now. And just keep encouraging them in a world that feels like winter is getting colder and colder, both culturally, relationally, and everything else. Summer is coming. Amen. Thank you so much for listening. We record these messages each week at the Seventh-day Adventist Church in Adairsville. 
And if you're ever in the area, we'd love to see you. Stop in and say hi and enjoy some good Southern food with us. We'll see you next week.